0: Hi, this is Natalie Gockner. I represent the political center on both sides of the aisle, and I'm so happy to have on the political left, Shireen Gorbani.
1: Hello. Hi, listeners. Thanks for tuning in.
0: And on the political right, John Dougal. Hey, happy holidays. And I have to just say to our listeners two things. First of all, just because I'm in the middle, don't think of me as the moderator. I have a voice, too. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and second... Sometimes it's a heavy-handed voice, but yeah. <laughs> and second, uh, we're taking some holiday time off, and so we're taping this early and going to just talk about some you know, wide-ranging, important issues affecting our state uh, that I think our listeners will be really interested in. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, so I'm going to uh, tee us off by just, uh, i ask you, Shireen, what are some of the issues that you think uh, have the greatest gravity and matter the most to Utahns right now?
1: Oh, so it's hard not to talk about air quality yeah. given the last few days. Um, we're coming out of a really thick and terrible inversion where Salt Lake City had the worst air on Earth again, um, and and I know that this is something that certainly impacts Logan as well. Cache Valley lives with this kind of inversion era as well. And when when we think about um, just kind of some of the stats, the uh, impact that it has on life expectancy, the impact that it has on uh, birth and reproduction, you know, mm-hmm. there's a sense that it is uh, negatively impacting people who are trying to have children, and and um, the way that it's Really detrimental to our health. Uh, so I I think it's difficult not to have that at top of mind, in part because of the time of year. Yeah,
0: let, let, let's let's sit with that one for okay. a minute. Sounds Just sit good. with
1: that one, John.
0: Um, you're a Utah County resident. Mm-hmm. You work in Salt Lake every day, mm-hmm. state capital. Yep. Um, you know you you see the air quality challenges. Um, we're taught. <laughs>
2: yeah, come come down the point of the mountain. You can see the haze. across Yeah, the yeah. Alley,
0: so. We're taught as uh, public policy professionals to. To always remind people that Utah's air is clean much of the year. Uh-huh. But in Amazingly some areas, convenient. pollutants exceed air quality standards in the winter and summer months. This is the context setting yep. for it. But um, And
2: we live in a bowl along the Wasatch Front. There's yeah. a bowl there. And so it's easy for stuff to get concentrated yeah. right in that bowl.
0: Uh, John and Shereen, when I worked at EPA... Um, Sat on the senior team every morning. You sit around that table. You walk through the issues of the day, and it's it's fascinating, right? You got super fun sites, and you've got things you're defending in this front of the Supreme Court, and then you also look at air quality nationwide, and they'll often tell you where it is the you know the biggest challenges. And it was not uncommon for Cache Valley, yeah. Vernal, yeah. and Salt Lake City to be on that the list of what they would you know mention. So, John, um, your angle on this.
2: Well, and sometimes the dynamics are just nature-caused, not man-caused that that we're also dealing with. Yeah. Um, I know lots of folks that get all wound up on global warming and stuff like that, and I've told folks for years, air quality should be something we could coalesce on. Mm-hmm. You know, that may have ramifications, you know, benefits when it comes to, you know, climate change or whatever it might be, but we can focus on that. We can look at that. One of the challenges, though, is some folks seem to want to pretend like we can solve air quality magically... But we forget it's in the wintertime. We want to heat our homes. We want, you know, other things like that. We, you know, mobility is a sign of our economic strength. And mm-hmm. so we want to be able to drive places and stuff like that. And so how do we deal with cutting down our emissions at the same time we recognize the economic vitality that we want to live in? Mm-hmm. We don't want to go back to what it was like 50 or 100 years ago. So how do we how do we do those things? And I think we can do it you know our cars are more fuel efficient and other things like that. I have a tankless water heater it it consumes a fraction of the natural gas that I did before and and while natural gas is cleaner, there's still some pollutants that come out. So yeah. there's things that we can take step by step by step that will continually improve the quality of our air. Do
0: you have optimism on this? I mean, if you put it into an Olympic frame where we've got ten years now till we host the world again and it will be in the winter time when we have these inversions do you well, and, and, I have
2: optimism because people care about it, mm-hmm. and, and and because of our economic strength, then we can start to tackle things, clean water, clean air, other things like that, and we can continue right. to improve yeah. our, our, our so, environment.
0: So you have to reduce auto-dependency?
2: No, no, not reduce auto-dependency. Reduce the pollutants. I think we want to use our cars more and more, but you want to reduce the pollutants coming out of the tailpipe.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Natalie, what's your take on the air? How, <laughs> how often do you find this at the top of your list of concerns? Oh, you
0: know, I, I think this I, – I have all sorts of questions. I mean, for a long time we thought that Tier 3 fuels would solve this, at least be a huge part of improving it. And I want to understand that better because we've, you know, been making that conversion our um, – Refineries have converted. We have a lot of new cars that are using the better fuels, and still didn't seem to help us too much this week. <laughs> so yeah. I'm mindful of that I like what John's saying about improving energy efficiency in his tankless water heater. Uh, that costs money to do, and um, you know we, we got to have economic uh, prosperity to improve our environment. In you know my judgment, you don't you don't get improved environments by hurting your economy. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you have an interesting dynamic. I mean, I have a neighbor who's complaining about his gas bill about a hundred bucks. <laughs> Mine's $16, it's
0: heating my house and the water. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, this would definitely be on my list. Yeah. Now, um, John, I'll give you an opportunity to throw something out on the list.
2: So one of the things I care a lot about is education. Mm-hmm. And, and I see, uh, whether it's public or higher ed, education is a major vehicle to improve society, improve, strengthen our economy, strengthen families, And, and too often, I think we are satisfied with mediocrity and this, we can have dedicated uh, teachers, but sometimes we have a system that doesn't facilitate meeting the needs of each and every student. And too often students don't own their education and we don't have the vibrancy in terms of topics and other things like that. I mean, we're going to make you learn this topic, whether or not you care about it. Where there's this other one that would be just as beneficial, Mm -hmm. you know. Let's pick a foreign language. Okay, your choice is German, French, or Spanish. Well, maybe you want to learn Arabic. Well, your school doesn't offer Arabic, and and so there's just I just sit there and look at the potential that we have, Mm -hmm. and with the technologies and other things we have today, and to me, I see that as a huge opportunity for improvement.
0: John, I'm a big fan of a speech that George Herbert Walker Bush gave one time in front of the National Education Association where he kind of outlined his thinking about education. And it's, he has this famous quote in there where he talks about how every public policy problem, if you sort of, you know, peel back the onion or, you know, kind of go down to the essence of it, you can solve it with education. Yeah. So I, I'm with you on education, and I, I love that you... Uh, you know, brought that up. The one I'm going to bring up... Uh, well, the, before you go further,
2: yeah. um, you've, you also get the dynamic. I, I look and I go, if our society was even more educated than it is today, what could we accomplish as a result of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are the things we can't do today that with more education we could do but we're just not? We're it, not there.
1: It's difficult for me to hear you <laughs> say these things without bringing up the movement that we're seeing now around reducing educational freedom even further by banning books, by banning particular topics that can be taught in the classroom, the exodus that we're seeing by teachers, right? So there, mm-hmm. I think there's there are many dynamics that are straining our education system, and I do think that we fail our futures if we cannot get this right.
0: Yeah. Well, and what I was going to add, I was going to stay on education, mm-hmm. but I would say to, to just put a finer point on it, what I worry the most about is educational disparities by race. yeah, And I say that because they're significant and we are diversifying rapidly. And so we have this state that has always had this very, um, you know, homogeneous culture that has these really strong educational outcomes But if you project that forward and when you've got uh, disparities in graduation rates, in English language arts proficiency, in math proficiency, and let's just be honest here, it's largely the Hispanic population I'm talking about because that's where most of our diversity is, you know, 15% of our state that's not getting the educational outcomes that will help uh, them be prosperous and our society be prosperous, that would be at the top of my list in a gubernatorial campaign is how do you uh, help make sure that all Utahns thrive?
2: Well, and we still have... What many folks refer to as the tyranny of the zip code your zip code is your destiny Mm -hmm. And if in theory public education is supposed to be the great equalizer to help folks overcome socioeconomic challenges We just as states throughout the nation are failing from my perspective too many students when it comes to that too often where you live designates which schools you go to and what opportunities you have or really don't have and and then it consigns you. It's it sets your entire life on in a certain in a trajectory,
1: path. which I think is the. I can't think of a more perfect argument for why we would not want then every single neighborhood school to be an excellent school, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone deserves well, that in and, their neighborhood. And What
2: keeps us from doing that?
1: I mean, there are so many things, right? We know that. Well, yeah. Let's just do. Let's just stay in the Salt Lake City school
0: district for a minute. Um, how, how many high schools are on the west side, John? On the west side. Yep, I'm just saying the where west. Where you draw the well, line? What you drawing on the west? <laughs> let's we got let's west do the high freeway, school, but I'm not sure. Let's do the freeway. I know. Let's do the freeway. What I'm saying there is, we developed a school district that um, made it so that if you live in a certain area, you always have to bus. Yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you don't get access to, you know, convenient access to the programs and after school things and before school things. But that's that's telling. How about this stat? Um, the Department of Health publishes life expectancies by neighborhood. And so I'm just staying in Salt Lake County. You can get this statewide, but um, there's a 10-year discrepancy between Foothill and South Salt Lake. I think it's like two miles difference.
2: Yeah. Ah, that's, that's significant. Yeah. Ten years. Yes. Ten years.
0: And you could say that arguably the most important measure of your life quality is how long do you live. And we have that right here.
2: Well, you have got how long you live and, and and your health as you age as you age mm-hmm. and you can you can live a long time but if your health is horrible then you got a poor quality of life yeah, and so yeah. you're i think what you're saying is both of those things kind of roll in there
0: yeah all right well so we've brought up air quality we've brought up education and Stay tuned. discrepancies and all those things uh, in our second segment we're going to throw out a few others and and basically be asking the question what are the issues that matter in Utah? What are the challenges? And maybe we'll talk some more about solutions. Yeah. So stay tuned, everybody. Natalie Gockner with John Dougal and Shireen Gorbani.
1: Shireen Gorbani on
0: the left. John Dougal on the right. Natalie Gockner and I'm in the political center, and this is both sides of the aisle. We are talking today about Utah issues that matter and uh, maybe some of the solutions to them. In our first segment, we talked about air quality education. All right, John, you put out education. Shireen, you put out air quality where do I go? Mental health or housing?
1: Oh. Well, <laughs> Which one do you want? They're also tied. Those two are tied yeah, together. Yeah, they um, are. Um, I'd start with housing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, you know,
0: I looked at some data recently. Um, second quarter, 2023, Utah having the eighth most expensive housing market in the country. I never thought that would happen. Yeah. You know, we're an interior western state. We're not, we're not like on the coasts we're not in this high amenity meaning like sunny california, you know, beautiful florida climate kinds of things. Hawaii, we're not an island. Yeah, we're not <laughs> an island and yet our housing prices and this has been a phenomenon that started in roughly 2018. So it's very recent and it it really caught us by surprise. So, um, you know, one way to think about this is if housing or home ownership is out of reach, you will have a very difficult time accumulating wealth in your life. Yeah. And, um, and you'll be compromised. Your wealth will be compromised for the rest of your life.
1: Well, and you mentioned um, in the earlier segment how racial disparities play in when it comes to education. Do they map also? I, I know that they do, but can you talk yeah. about how they play out in housing?
0: Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, a way to think of it is go to the, the most um, serious place where you don't have housing, chronic homelessness. And we know we've got problems there. Mm -hmm. And then you have a category of deeply affordable housing. We have problems there. Then you have a category of starter homes. This is what uh, Governor Cox is going after. We've got a problem there. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Really, the only place we don't have a problem is for people that are very well resourced.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we know that um, just in terms of national data on uh, how wealth is distributed across racial lines, that there for many reasons and I think deep underinvestment and also a deep history of, of racism in this country. We know that that impacts black and brown families differently and so they're even, it's mm-hmm. even more out of reach mm-hmm. for many of those families.
2: Mm-hmm. But we've structured a system where for two decades now, I've heard from cities, they lose money on homes. They're incentivized to do retail yeah. based on sales tax okay. dollars. So they wanna build the strip malls and things job. like that. <laughs> and, 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 and they look and say, well, you know, for police services, for fire, for roads, whatever, we lose money on homes. And so that sounds like they discourage the development of homes, yeah. which then feeds into a, a shortage of the number of homes. And, you know, and there's multiple factors that are all playing in here. I'm just saying that is one, yeah. that is one aspect that I've heard that dynamic for quite a long time.
0: And Shireen and John just watched me perk up when he brought up a public <laughs> finance issue that dealt with, uh, you know, housing and, and uh, local government. But just a way to think of this for our listeners is, sales tax is super important to local government, and sales tax is distributed in this state fifty percent population, fifty percent point of sale, and this it's is where what, you
2: buy it. That's where those that's dollars. Where go. That's where
0: half of it goes. Yeah. And so what happens is these cities compete. They call it zoning for dollars. But they compete for more sales tax from the 50% distribution, you know, based on point of sale.
2: Big box retailer. We want this. that. And it we creates
0: all sorts of crazy dynamics. I live in Murray. Uh, we have, I don't know if it's the largest, but I, I bet Salt Lake City is larger because of what it does. But we have a very significant Costco in Murray. And you know where it used to be? Midvale. Yeah. <laughs> It went how just, far? How yeah, f- maybe a mile, maybe a mile and a half. But the sales tax dollars that left Midvale and came flooding into Murray it's ridiculous, right? Yeah. that that's how we that's how we manage our public affairs, meaning our and, the public purse,
2: and if we want more housing, we want our cities to be saying, bring more houses, yeah, build
0: more houses. whether it's big homes, money. small
2: homes, apartments, whatever. we want oh, more homes, yeah,
0: people cost money. And the retail is is so much less expensive for them. So you could say that a lot of our cities and towns would prefer to have a used car dealership than uh, Silicon Slopes tech jobs. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because there's not much sales tax on technology, and there's a ton on a used on a car.
1: car. <laughs> yeah, I think about this a lot. With um, I, I feel like I bring it up often, but the Olympia Hills debate that happened about a development on the south. Uh, west side of Salt Lake County, there was so much outrage over the amount of traffic that would be, you know, um, brought to the area with the addition of homes that that were needed, right? In one of the fastest growing corners in terms of population of the county, anyway. Um, A Costco went in. Didn't hear the same arguments about vehicle trips, how that would impact, right? So Mm -hmm. it's so interesting, I think, both how our leaders, but then also how community members think about the impact of having these kinds of centers. What does it mean when you are drawing people to a community because that is their home? It's where they live. It's where they build connections versus, you know, coming in and out for your costco run um i think the whole way that we think about being in community is something that we could um improve in terms of our sort of social good and social benefit understanding in utah
0: yeah i want to you know kind of not just complain but go to solutions a little bit but just before we do that let's just quickly touch on mental health and water those would be two other big ones that would be on the list and the mental health i help. love to see us talk health care yeah yeah okay <laughs> I mean, we can, but well, I do the mental health one because uh, we see both in adult mental health and in child mental health troubling trends. And you know, basically, if you're uh, you know if you're a Gen Z, you've got anxiety and depression challenges. Yep. It's it's very prominent. Yeah. It's it's very foreign. Is
2: is it more today than it used to be, or are we just diagnosing it more than it used to be? It's 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 more.
0: I mean, this this is is just an opinion program, but it's more. Well, I mean, people think social media figures into it. Um, I think that. Did you like my
2: comment, Natalie? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I I think that um, I think modern realities are very tricky for the brain
1: and and I in many ways we're living more isolated I think there are greater demands on time I think Mm -hmm. about it even down to small things I recently did a a different podcast talking about kids birthday parties what was expected of my mom Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the birthday parties that she threw for me as Mm -hmm. a single mom you know working mom uh, just just having to do it for me a single kid um, versus the kinds of things that we're seeing that parents are kind of generally expected to do now, the expectations, the pressure, I think this kind of social pressure that mm-hmm. exists particularly in Utah. I just read an article about the um, number of Utahns that have a car payment that's $1,000. Did you see yeah, that someone? I didn't,
0: but... Yeah.
1: And, wow. and a big part of the reason they thought was driving it was the sense of trying to keep up with the Joneses, having that car that's Those just, Darden
2: Joneses. just <laughs> as nice
1: as your neighbors, you know. And, and I do think there's a lot of social pressure that exists, comparison that exists in our culture here, unfortunately. But there are a lot of demands on people's time and energy and I, you know, we know that the West in particular has a high rate of um, people deciding to end their own lives of suicide. When I knocked on doors in different campaigns, I didn't knock on a door where I didn't meet a family that had a connection to suicide, addiction, mental health struggles. Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. is pervasive in our culture. And I think we're still working really hard to destigmatize that.
0: Yeah. Um, and we don't have the supply of mental health providers nope. to help us. Yeah. Uh, What about, uh, we're going to go to solutions, but any thoughts on water um, that you want to put out there?
2: Well, you know, I come from the perspective, I mean, we live in a desert. Um, We're what second driest state in the nation. Um, It's a scarce resource. When I moved here, I was just surprised at the amount of water we use to water golf courses on our lawns and everything else like that. Um, I come from the perspective, which is we need to price water such that people value water. And so we're looking for better ways, smarter ways to use the water and not just wasted away because
0: it's so cheap and inexpensive Yeah, because it's such a scarce answer that's my my good friend uh, john saying that all right air quality education (laughs) answer too. how oh let's hear it
1: (laughs) so i do think that when we think about i I, i'm impressed and often moved by the work that's being done at the agricultural level so farming to move to much more efficient ways to water crops to think about the fruit um like there was this great story about a, a fruit tree farm uh, here, actually, in between here and Cache Valley, where they had really worked to reduce the amount of water that they're using through a lot of technology. So there are huge opportunities, I think, on the side of both tracking, you know, testing, and moving forward with innovation around water usage. Does that count? Oh, yeah. Professor? Yeah, it's great. It does. So <laughs> air quality, education, housing, mental health, healthcare, water. I
0: mean, we could add a few more to that. But what, if we wanted to go into a solution world here, yeah. and i realize you can't lump them all together but i have a really easy way to lump them all together and that's the idea that if we don't solve the problem of division in our society we can't solve any of these problems if we're so, paralyzed so what that in mean? ideological extremes instead of just looking something in the eye and saying how do we fix this yeah you know how do we how do we move beyond partisanship and move towards Uh, problem solving. That would be the top thing on my list is is trying to get out of this Republican, Democrat, House, Senate, urban, rural, LDS, non-LDS. I can keep going. Why don't we come together?
1: So, I mean, one opportunity would be to uh, increase the number of races that are nonpartisan. But we're actually moving in the other direction. Mm -hmm. Um, Our state school board used to be a nonpartisan race. That is now a partisan race. Um, When, you know, certainly I think at the local level, we're lucky to continue to move forward with city councils and such being nonpartisan. But I do think that it would create a greater scrutiny on candidates' beliefs and behaviors if we did that actually, you know, at a higher level. At a higher level.
0: level. Ranked choice voting gets in a voting. similar category, yep. right? Yep. Is it, it, it? It, it encourages more um, problem-solving collaboration. Solving. Do you, do you agree with that, John?
2: Um, well, I'm going to go down a different path. Okay. What do I it. think we need to do is more collaboration. But what that means is we need to stop looking and pushing in a direction of more and more activities being solved by government. Because every time government steps in, it starts to push out private volunteer activities. And so I think we need to bring it back to say, how do we get people cooperating among themselves and not looking to government to solve it for them and then when government has disincentives how do we get rid of those disincentives that cause you know bad behavior or wasteful behavior or whatever get rid of those things and leave the people free yeah. because I want to unleash the creativity I, I the notion that says somehow 104 legislators plus the governor are you know have the wisdom for the state I want to unleash 3.3 million Utahs to be
0: creative yeah uh, a thousand points of light. Uh, comes to mind when I think of like homelessness and some of the- George H.W. Bush. The, yep, I've done him twice. <laughs> twice. But, but but part of why I was thinking about this is I love private solutions. Love them. You know, look for them wherever you can. I, I spent a long, large part of my career in government. I saw the problems in government. Try um, solving homelessness without Salt Lake City, Salt Lake County, and the state of Utah being on your side as private people.
1: I think about aging, too. I really do. Um, I think that we are a particularly cruel and difficult nation uh, for people to age. And with an aging population that's going to grow in Utah, the kind of infrastructure that an aging population needs is something that I don't think we can just solve through neighborly kindness. Um, it takes more.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. So I don't know what to do with this. We have you know, just a minute and a half or so left in the program because I want to try and figure out where would the three of us have agreement on the major issues of the day, like how we solve them. And I'm saying we need to be more, you're saying you need to be more private sector oriented, Mm -hmm. uh, more collaborative, I'm saying less ideological.
1: Yeah, I I also heard in what you said, John, greater opportunity for ideas to come in. Mm -hmm. So even if we- Listen more. Yeah, listen more, Mm -hmm. look for those leaders, look for experts, Right. bring people together, but also create opportunity for other people to be able to be part of the conversation around solutions. Yeah. And I think that there's, I, I think that these are all tied together. I'm yeah. with you on the division. I think the more that our politics benefit from scoring points on each other, the more people lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, so what's the what do you do, John? You're the, you're the elected official in the group here. We got 30 seconds. I'm we- the
2: elected official that says we need more private sector activity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but, but, but what, what's the advice to the, to the, the listener? Uh, what, what to me, the advice is look to see what you can do. And stop looking for somebody else to do it for you.
1: Oh, that sounds like John F. Kennedy. (laughs) Do the quote. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Ask ask not what you can do. Or ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. There you go. We agree. Slide a Democrat. And do for our
0: state.
2: (laughs) There you go. All right. Be creative.
0: Very good. Hey, wonderful discussion. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. Thank you, John. Thank you, Shireen. Uh, Our program's produced by Anthony Scoma. Thanks, everybody, for listening.